Welcome to the 47th episode of Curiosityness. I am the host, Travis DeRose, and this episode is lasery because I have on Jeff Hetched, who is the author of Lasers, Death Rays, and the Long Strange Quest for the Ultimate Weapon. And that's what we talk about. It's pretty fun. We start with, you know, the history of kind of the laser and even like you know, Archimedes and the ancient Greeks and what they were doing back then with lasers and directing sunlight and then kind of the invention of the the laser in the 60s. And it's crazy how it affects everything today. We use the laser so much from like fiber optics to a CD player to uh, other stuff. There's a lot, trust me, when you go through the list. Just can't think of it now. But um, it was really cool to talk about Jeff, to talk to Jeff about all this stuff because we talk about the invention of the laser and also kind of the science fictiony side of things where, you know, you have the death rays that people are talking about. And, you know, that's what people in real life were kind of working on and hoping to get. They wanted to use it as a, as a weapon, um, especially during like the Cold War and stuff like that. But uh, things are still progressing today. Uh, we're still making lasers, stronger and stronger lasers, and uh, we're finding more and more uses for it. But uh, I'm going to stop. I'm going to let Jeff start talking. So without further ado, here is episode 47 with Jeff Hetched. And boom. What's up, Jeff? How's it going? Ah, I'm uh, ready to talk about lasers and death rays. Uh, <laughs> thanks for calling, Travis. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what you do. You, you talk about lasers and death rays. You wrote a book on it even. Right. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been writing about lasers for a long time and uh, this laser idea of lasers as death rays has been around, uh, in fact, actually since before the laser was invented in the sense of making it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how it's always interesting that it's such sort of like a, there's the real stuff that actually exists and then all the science fiction and they kind of, you know, they kind of go together a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they kind of merge into a little... Uh, quasi-reality, and sometimes uh, uh, sometimes it gets a little uh, less real or more real. It's like quantum mechanics. It's a little unre- bit of unreality in it. Mm-hmm. Yes, very true. Um, so, I mean, how do we even... So you, you have like, you know, kind of this interesting kind of field crazy study that you that you have done. So how do you kind of... When someone asks you what you do, what do you tell them? What's your answer to that? Well, for the book, you know, I, I went back and started uh, looking at what started as a myth uh, or started as a tale of Archimedes, uh, the famous Greek scientist and engineer. Uh, this story has been known since all around 1200 AD. Uh, There's no record of it existing before, although Archimedes was living around 2000 C, which is another curious factor. Now, certainly things have gotten lost over the past couple of centuries, couple of millennia. But why don't we know anything about this happening earlier? In fact, we just don't know all that much about Archimedes. Mm-hmm. We're just not even clear he actually jumped out of the bathtub and shouted Eureka and ran around down the street naked when he figured out a problem. But we, there are, are these stories of him uh, 
doing a number of military things. And it was pretty clear he was a military engineer and scientist. Uh, and so the story goes that Archimedes, uh, who was living in the Greek city of Syracuse, when the Romans came and were trying to just conquer the city, they were besieging the city and the harbor, somehow he got uh, used some burning mirrors, which would probably have been polished soldier shields, mm-hmm. and set the ships afire that were sitting in the harbor. Right. Oh, no, we don't have any particular details, but it's an intriguing tale. And, you know, if you've ever played with a magnifying glass in the sun, you'll know, yeah, you can use sunlight to burn things. You can burn holes through paper. So this sort of makes sense. And since at least the 1700s, scientists have actually tried to duplicate it. Uh, there was a French scientist in, back in the late 1700s, and he claimed he made it work. Uh, other people later on claimed it wouldn't work. And, of course, then Mythbusters got on it more recently, and Mythbusters said it wouldn't work, and they proved it wouldn't work. And then MIT decided they'd try it themselves, and they made it work. So we have there's a picture of uh, uh, this model of a wooden boat that's starting to come on fire, catch on fire from the light. Uh, once the sun decided to finally cooperate here at MIT, uh, I'm based in the Boston area. So, you know, sometimes we have more weather than others. And the first few times they didn't get any uh, enough sunlight, but finally they did and they ignited this boat. So what really happened? Uh, well, you get different results with different test conditions in any scientific experiment. And, you know, there Mythbusters wanted it to not work, and there's ways you make sure it doesn't work. And MIT wanted it to work, and they tried harder. So it worked. But really, we don't know whether this whole thing ever happened at all. Mm-hmm. It's an intriguing story, and it's somewhere at the level of plausibility. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of the whole science of uh, the whole the, the whole efforts to make laser weapons or beam weapons or directed energy weapons falls into that category. Well, it seems like it should work, but will it really work? Yeah. And, you know, that's the way, you know, this thing, this thing has gone on for a long time. So in the back around 1900, there were a lot of scientists who were, um, discovering new types of radiation. We discovered infrared, I think, around 1800, but radio waves and X-rays came around late, very late 1800s, 1900s, and, there were, and they discovered alpha rays and beta, beta rays and gamma rays uh, as they started working with uh, radioactive materials. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking of all these new kinds of radiation you know, could you have, could you make a death ray? Well, you know, that was um, with all the new technology that was coming around. Uh, they were wondering about that, mm-hmm. so they started experimenting. Um, and milit- as they as airplanes started getting off the ground, it became clear, and especially once you started getting closer to World War Two, World War One rather, 
you could actually use an airplane to bomb cities. And this really started getting military forces upset. And they started looking around, well, what can we do to shoot down these airplanes? Mm-hmm. And it's hard, hard to get bullets up there that far in the sky, especially a century ago. Yeah. So they looking at, well, let's see if we can do this with radio waves. Hey, Marconi and Tesla had been doing things with radio. And can you use fire electricity through the air? You know, they didn't know all that much about how this stuff worked then. And they started talking about uh, trying to make a death ray, shoot down airplanes. So there were quite a few, you know, people claiming that they had done that. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite examples was um, a fellow named uh, Giulio Olivi in Italy. And he had said, he had the idea of being able to ignite a mine. And this is the type of mine you'd be using in water, to mine a harbor so that invaders couldn't get in and their ships would blow up. Mm-hmm. We were saying, oh, we, we have a, I have a way that we can mine the harbor and I will fire this ray uh, and it will ignite the mine and make it go off. Mm-hmm. He demonstrated that. Well, he demonstrated that with his own mines that he, he'd made and put in the water himself. And mm-hmm. Here I have my death ray, and see, there it goes. Come on, come on, now, okay, boom. Well, he had a little trick. Yeah. Um, he had a real mine. It had gunpowder and some sort of explosive in it. Mm-hmm. He added a little dash of sodium. And he drilled a little hole in the mine and put something in so that the water would dribble in a little bit. Now, what happens when you have sodium in, in a landmine that's floating in the ocean and the water starts leaking in? It catches fire. <laughs> Boom! And, this, and the admiral who was in charge of this said, well, this is interesting. Well, we want to try our own minds to make sure you're not doing something. Right. Um, and just to make it more interesting, Ulivi fell in love, madly in love, with the Admiral's daughter. <laughs> now, you can't make this up, you know? <laughs> well, here he is trying to run a scam on the Admiral. Um, well, I don't know that he thought it was, it was admitted scam, but, you know, he was doing something funny and fun. And, he said he asked the admiral to give uh, give him permission to marry his daughter, and the admiral says, "You finish the test first. <laughs> so finally, he awoke. Yep. And and uh, you know, eventually, they sort of give up on the you know, figure out there's something wrong, something funny going on there. Mm-hmm. So that's a you know one of the that, that's one of my favorite stories, just because it was so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, it's like at this time where we didn't, people didn't know what was or wasn't possible. So it's like, well, let's try it and see, you know, what's going to happen, right? That's the idea. It's yeah. try it and see. And, you know, the Admiral had the right idea. You just keep testing it. And let's see if 
you know, if this kind of thing will work. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, there were others. Um, there was a, a, a British engineer named uh, uh, Harry Grindle Matthews. And he had been a soldier during the Boer War um, down in South Africa, where they'd been using uh, very early radio communications that developed by Marconi. Mm-hmm. And Matthews, Virgil Matthews, had gotten fascinated by wireless communications. And when he came back home, he was living with his mother, and he was uh, decided he was going to make a wireless telephone. And you know, here here it is, late nineteen oh, you know, like nineteen oh nine, and he's a wireless phone. Right. Uh, so it uh, he claimed that he get, was able to get signals a few miles away. Um, he got some people to back him. Mm-hmm. Tried to start a company. Um, he was going to sell the phones for what was a, the equivalent of about five hundred dollars today, but. Hey, you know, in 1909, a wireless phone? Well, yeah. this is, you know, amazing. So um, he still didn't get enough customers. <laughs> went out, you know, the company went out of business eventually. Yeah. But he was doing other inventions, and he had some credibility as an inventor. He, he was able to, to use wireless guidance of a boat, a little miniature toy boat, uh, that uh, won a prize of, something like 10,000 pounds, which is real, or 1,000 pounds, I forget now which, but it was real money at the time yeah. uh, from the British uh, Admiralty. And then, uh, you know, he did some other military stuff. And later on, back in the, back around 1924, he had an idea, I claimed he had a uh, way to fire death rays through the air. Was some kind of, uh, I think he was using ultraviolet light to make a hole in the air and make it conduct electricity, or this was what he said anyway. Yeah. And there's a wonderful uh, video you can see on YouTube uh, if you search for Grindel, G-R-I-N-D-E-L-L, Matthews, uh, Death Ray. Mm-hmm. And you can find this is there's an eight minute version uh, that that goes on. It's a silent. It goes on, and it's just just fun to watch because and you, and you can see him in that movie. He actually takes off in an airplane because he's trying after the British are getting a little funny about wondering what he's trying to do. He goes over and offers it to France, and then you know eventually comes back. But this is hey, flying around an airplane in 1944. That was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So this is a serious businessman doing serious invented, inventive <laughs> things. And the Admiralty after this, well, no, this one didn't work either. Uh, and the Admiralty finally figured out, well, um, we've got to have a way to test this, to check these people out. And he decided, well, we'll put a sheep out in a field. And if you can kill it from 100 yards away, with your death ray, okay, we'll give you a thousand pounds, and we'll have, and the implication was we'll talk with you more. Yeah, this looks like it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And needless to say, nobody ever killed the sheep. 
Oh man, so it's so fun. Like all these little stories about you know people saying they invented stuff, trying to come up, things are happening and stuff. But then you know nothing really is is taking off or or really proving to to be successful. But um, but this is also kind of when it really starts to emerge in like kind of science fiction writing and stuff too, isn't it? Yeah, it it the first uh, mention of the death ray is in a um, book and that was made into a silent movie, The Exploits of Elaine. Mm -hmm. And what there is, I mean, there is um, an evil villain whose name I forget at the moment, but he's, you know, the the stalking hand or the clutching hand or something like this. There is a Craig Kennedy who's a professor and a detective is trying to prevent this and somehow and this clutching hand is mad at him and says if you uh, don't get stop get off my case I'll start killing people with this death ray you know this is the and he says say, saying in the movie this is the one that the Italian Ulivi has made mm-hmm. the real ray you know he's you know the the book actually plays on you know borrows this bit of news that the, the author read uh, and so people walking by in the street, uh, by his, his laboratory, drop dead when somebody, you know, shoots them with the death ray. And that's kind of how the uh, science fiction death ray got born. I think that's there. I mean, there, there was some time, certainly if you go back to H.G. Wells with the heat ray of the war in the worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was sort of. That was a little more what I call harder science fiction, because that was real infrared light, and you knew how to make that. Yeah. You didn't know how the the big powerful death ray, but that was real. And the you know the X rays and the death rays, the death ray that would kill on contact, which is sort of a science fiction meme that has um, been played for a century now. Um, that you know is just more fantasy than science fiction almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a, you know, then by the 19, well, actually it's, it's, it, one of the interesting things here is that um, Hugo Gernsback, who started the first science fiction magazine, Amazing Stories in 1926, mm-hmm. he'd been watching radio experimenter type magazines or electrical experimenter magazines. And he went through a series of magazines because he kept going broke. Um, <laughs> and it, he had articles by Nikola Tesla about how, you know, how he did things. And Tesla started talking about, well, ways that we could fight world war one, as I recall, mm-hmm. you know, how that, and, you know, Tesla, Tesla had these ideas and Tesla of course had ideas of beaming, wireless energy around the world yeah and and he even had uh i mean he even had wireless energy where he could demonstrate on a stage that he could light up a light bulb and stuff right oh yeah yeah incredible yeah he he had a real way of transmitting wireless energy um and that there was you know it's something you can do uh microwaves you know radio waves Mm-hmm. You can focus that energy and you can get it through the air. The problem you have um, 
over long distances is it just tends to spread out. Right. Because that's the way radio waves work. Mm-hmm. And to make a special type of antenna that you can kind of beam the energy, but it still spreads out. It's more like a search. At best, you've got something like a big searchlight, mm-hmm. uh, not a uh, little powerful laser beam. I see. Man. Okay, so so we're kind of up here. People are working with this stuff and, and you know, thinking about it, and we have Archimedes doing, you know, that kind of started it all, but it's all sort of like using – as far as the real world, that's using, you know, sunlight that already exists and stuff. But then we kind of start to get into the development of the actual laser in like the, the 50s or so, right? Yeah, the 50s. Um, the idea of the laser emerged from what was called the microwave maser, uh-huh. which Charles Towns invented in the early 1950s and demonstrated. Yeah, And it was really... What it really was doing was generating a beam of microwaves, although they were actually more using it as a microwave oscillator to like to generate sound for or generate radio waves for use in uh, radio or radio transmission or directed somewhat focused radio waves Mm -hmm. or amplifying weak radio signals that they were picking up. Okay. So that that was the idea that they were first trying trying and. Towns had had a military contract and to part sort of a follow on all of all the radi- radar uh, technology that had been developed during World War II. Mm-hmm. And then he started wondering what he could do next. Uh, and he went around and uh, one of the people he was talking with was a fellow named grad student named Gordon Gould, who was at this point about uh, in 1937, uh, 1957. Gould was a 37-year-old graduate student. You know, he'd been kind of kicking around a while. Uh, and he, But he was there at Columbia University where Towns was. And Town and Gould had been doing something with light, experimenting with light and using a technique called optical pumping where you're actually shining light onto something to excite atoms or electrons. Uh, and you use a particular wavelength of light to excite a particular type of atom. Okay. And that, that actually won somebody a Nobel Prize uh, as, because it, was an, it, became, it was an important term, a tool for spectroscopy to use and for and scientific research. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first people using it here because his, one of the professors at, at uh, Columbia, I.I. Rabe, came back with this from France and said, and said, here, Hey, this is, this is something you can use Gould. Let's see if you can make something work this way because Gould's project was going slowly. Yeah. And indeed it worked. And Towns looked at it and Towns was thinking, well, maybe I could use light to excite uh, a laser. What he was, although what he was calling it at the time was an optical maser and a light version of his, microwave maser because the maser after all was his invention mm-hmm. uh and so cool you know they got he got they kind of got talking after a while, you know for a while about this and uh and then they sort of wandered away I mean, this was just about also about the time of the sputnik launch this was october 1957 mm-hmm. and their notebooks say that uh towns had a couple of conversations with gould and then Gould kind of dropped out of uh, Columbia because he thought about 
this idea himself. And well, Gould, uh, you know, Gould's attitude was, well, Talon's asked me a question, and I can come up with the answer. So he walked away and started inventing it himself. And he's writing notes in his, you know, chain smoking in his, his kitchen with a, a bunch of notepads and uh, slide rule and all the sort of thing that you used in 1957. And he had the base, he, because Gould had worked with optics, he realized, hey, if you have a pair of mirrors like this, I'm trying to get him into the picture, um, you can reflect light back and forth. And if they're perfectly flat and perfectly parallel, light will just bounce back and forth. And you can amplify the light and make a beam. And that was, you know, an, an invention. Uh, Towns worked with somebody, started working with somebody else. And eventually the two of them came up with that invention. But by the time they came up with that invention, Gould had already, you know, been writing, written it down in his notebook. Mm-hmm. You know, decides he's he's had it with being with grad school. He's going to be a rich inventor. He's going to be Thomas Edison. So he starts just obsessing on this uh, right. whole laser thing, and he goes to and he has to get earn some money. So he goes to work for a, this defense contractor and a uh, little small defense contractor in New York City. And but he's always working on this laser thing. And finally, the boss calls him in. What are you doing? And he and cool. Tells him. And the boss looks. That's interesting. You know, we might be able to get a contract to do this from the Pentagon. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So they start paying, paying Gould to do this. And these media was writing up the patents. And, and then TRG, is the, the company, is going to share in the patents because they're paying, paying, paying him. But Gould figures, hey, I can get, I still get one for, you know, half of a fortune is as good as a fortune. Why not? <laughs> right. So uh, he goes in and they go to, eventually go down to what was ARPA, the Advanced Research Project Agency. This had just been formed right after uh, the uh, Sputnik launch because everybody's worried about Soviet nuclear missiles. If you can launch a bomb into space, you can launch a bomb and drop it on somebody else on the other side of the world. So this is how do we stop um, the first uh, head of DARPA, um, a named Roy Johnson, uh, told Congress, well, maybe we can find a death right. Who knows? You know, yeah. he's talking, maybe we can even make a death right. Maybe that would be the solved problem. Because what if we actually had a speed of light weapon to gen- to stop these missiles coming in from all around the world? From they could fly around half the world in thirty minutes or half or forty minutes. We could stop it with a, a beam of light. So in walks Gould to ARPA, mm-hmm. and he says he really got these kernels. Is so excited. Yeah, and. You know, he was, they were talking about this stuff, and they were, they were physicists, they were scientists. They said, hey, this makes sense. You know, this is at least possible in theory. Mm-hmm. This is something we ought to try. And so, Wilden and his boss go back home. Uh, they had applied for a $300,000 grant. That was big money back in 1959. Yeah. And so they got a call back from ARPA. And say, yeah, we want to do it. And they and they and the boss goes back down to ARPA 
And he says, no, oh, well, anyways, I want to make one little change on this. We're, we want to give you a million dollars. And, you know, nobody does that. Yeah. <laughs> Contract. So, okay, everybody's all excited. Yeah. And then, because, hey, this is military, and this is something that's going to be really, gosh, wow, they classified it. And... Gould was getting very antsy because the reason he was had been knocking around for quite a while was that he, uh, well, he actually had worked on the Manhattan Project, and then he'd gotten fired because he and his girlfriend, who was a communist, uh, were protesting things. And his, then he married her, and then he became a communist himself. Oh, gosh. And, you know, he hadn't told the boss about that little skeleton in the closet. Right. And uh, the boss said, no, no, no they, I can't imagine they wouldn't give you a clearance to work on your own project. Mm-hmm. Well, they wouldn't. <laughs> and, and they they got high, uh, hotshot lawyers to go in and try to make him look good. No. Nope. You know, and then Google finally, you know, they, they had to, you know, finally had to, put Gould off in a separate building and, you know, they, they had to knock a hole in the wall so that he could go to, you know, to, to build a door to the bathroom that he could access. Oh, it was all gosh. this ridiculous stuff. But, no, so the company didn't make the first laser mm-hmm. because, you know, Gould was off, you know. Well, actually, he was fooling around with the secretary, but that was another thing, story. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Worse, it was the company security officer he was playing or fooling around. <laughs> uh, and so he, they didn't make it. But uh, out in California, um, Theodore Maiman made the first laser uh, at uh, Hughes Aircraft, which was owned by Howard Hughes, uh, the, the great mythical uh, billionaire, bashful billionaire. Yep. Uh, who, Apparently never never spoke to anybody in huge research labs, and Maiman never saw him. And nobody ever saw him. Oh wow! Which takes us a bit away from de- lasers and death rays, but you know that's how the laser was born. Yeah. So okay, so how did you know? Uh, how did Ted Maiman kind of? How did it happen for him? How did he get involved? Well, the idea. Towns had published it. Towns and Arthur Shallow had published a paper about how to make a laser, mm-hmm. and the idea was floating around. And um, Maiman had been working with microwave masers made of ruby, and he knew the material, and he decided this looks interesting. And people were saying, "No, it won't work," but you know, he couldn't find out, well, figure out why it wouldn't work, and he decided he'd try the ruby. And just try a simple experiment. It didn't have to be a big, powerful thing. He got a, his assistant, Charlie Asawa, uh, said, hey, you know, somebody had, a, had this big photographic flash lamp. Why don't you try this? Mm-hmm. And it had a, with a coil. So they just stuck a little ruby rod in the, in, of the flash lamp and put a big old high voltage source onto the flash lamp. And started firing it, and you know, with, with mirrors on each end. Uh-huh. Um, and 
it worked. It was a fl- flash of flashes of red light, spots of red light on the wall. Uh, and then they went and uh, gave a press conference on it, announcing that he, this was a big deal to Hughes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they got on the front page of the New York Times. Uh, and they got on the front pages of some other papers, too. And Maimon came back and... Uh, he recalled many years later when he wrote his autobiography that he saw these, you know, came back to, flew back to Los Angeles from New York where they gave the press conferences. And he looks at the newsstands and there's various very headlines in two inch red type saying, LA man builds death ray. <laughs> and in fact, he had, when he asked, of, had given the press conference, the reporters had come up and said, How can you build a death ray? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I uh, know I well. Well, can you rule it out? Well, no, I can't really rule it out. Mm-hmm. Ain't this thing? You know, it's just little flashes of light right now. But maybe it could. Um. So of course it's headlines. Yep. Of course. <laughs> uh, Man. So okay. So Maimon is kind of is he sort of considered the inventor of the laser then? Um. Towns uh, won the Nobel Prize for the idea of the laser and the concept. Uh-huh. Maimon made the first laser okay. and invented the ruby laser. Uh, and Gould also had the concept and you know some of the idea. Gould got and then ended up finally in the 1980s. His patent, his patent was hung up in courts for years, and finally in 1980s. He got his patent and sued people and managed, you know, made millions of dollars mm-hmm. off the patent. So right. Gould got rich. Um, Maimon had made the first laser and was a little annoyed that other people were considered to have invented it. Yeah. And Towns got the Nobel Prize. So, okay. You know, kind of, kind of all sharing it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so what? Can you just kind of give me maybe like a an overview, layman kind of, uh, you know, idea of how a laser works? Well, what you're doing in a laser uh, is your uh, – it's called light amplification by the stimulated emission of radiation. Uh-huh. And what you're doing is you're taking some form of energy – and exciting atoms, or exciting electrically electrons in the atoms to a high energy state mm-hmm. where they'll emit. And because you put them between a pair of mirrors, and one of the generally at least one of the mirrors will reflect all the light, and the other will reflect some of it. And it'll just, the light will start; it'll start emitting inside, light emitting. It'll go as bouncing back and forth between the mirrors and build up to be a beam you could see on the wall, a spot on the wall. Or more or more powerfully, you know, something, a big, bright beam that can burn a whole little hole through a, a sheet of foil or a piece of wood or eventually, you know, something more substantial. Mm-hmm. And that's, but the idea is you're concentrating that energy from, you know, some source, like from a chemical reaction or from pump light around it, like, you know, the flash lamp that Maimon used mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, 
into to make a beam. So you're concentrating energy from around you. In, in and a, a flash lamp has a big amount of energy, wild bright flash of energy. You concentrate it in all spot. Maybe you would burn a little hole in things. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the idea of a laser. Is you're taking it, you're concentrating the energy and one of the tricks of doing this also is to store the energy for a while so that you have, you'll, you'll have the uh, light on for a while and the light won't actually go out of the, flat, of the uh, laser, that laser cavity you have until you switch open, turn it, let allow the light to get out by, let's say, and you know, taking a piece of mirror, the mirror and, opening it up like that from the edge of that. Oh, okay. So that's, you know, the I- idea of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, the first lasers were very weak. You also can have lasers that just emit a steady beam, or you can have lasers that accumulate a lot of energy and fire, then fire a pulse out. Oh, okay. Course, that's what uh, interested, got to interest the military is, hey, we can, you know, just... Crank it up and then bang. Yeah. So, uh, Interesting. Okay. Kind of like a like a Star Wars laser gun type of thing, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And in, <laughs> and there were the Pentagon was talking to Mayman, uh, and uh, he 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 was got a contract to start you know making lasers and experimenting with them, and other people did. And pretty soon there was a uh, a lot of hype about lasers and weapons and there was a uh art i think it was parade magazine had an article the incredible laser and um that was really pretty far out on yeah. all these so art shallow who was uh charles town worked with charles towns uh put up a little sign and he was shallow was a, a jokester uh <laughs> and uh Playful, rather a playful scientist. So he put up at his door uh, uh, a sign saying uh, he put the little put the copy of the uh, parade article about the incredible laser on his door, and beside it put a little sign that said, "For credible lasers, see inside." <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, so that that was our challenge, but. By this point, you know, the Pentagon was starting to throw serious money into this. And there was, um, it was uh, General Curtis LeMay was talking about, uh, hey, this is a wonderful invention. Uh, and, you know, saying this is now the greatest thing since sliced bread or whatever. And, except it turns out if you try to slice bread with a laser, you just get burnt toast. But that's another story. <laughs> Oh man! Wow. So this is cool. You can kind of see the evolution of it and how it happens. Um, so, but when they're kind of doing this in in, well, I guess one question I had real quick was: Does the word does the word laser come from maser? It comes from light amplification of the stimulated emission of radiation. Oh, okay. and it, it's bar. It is uh, that. That was Gordon Gould's term, laser. Uh-huh. He says light, you know, obviously cribbing a little, little bit from microwave amplification, but light amplification by the stimulated emission of radiation. Okay, makes sense. So 
you know, Gould, and, and then there was a little, you know, they, Gould and Towns sort of thought about who, what name, who would win the name, but Towns, uh, Towns won the Nobel Prize, they used Gould's name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay, but so when they're kind of developing a laser and everything and figuring this stuff out, are they mostly thinking of sort of weaponizing it, or are they thinking of the other possibilities of what it could be used for? That actually, they started thinking of using a laser as a rangefinder. Oh. Or, you know, you you use you fire pulses, or you'd use it as a, or you'd shine a laser beam onto something, onto a target, and then have a missile home in on the bright spot. Mm, okay. And those missiles, those type of weapons, were actually used. Uh, in the Vietnam War later on, on uh, laser uh, target ranging, target tar- they call it target designation, where you sh- have somebody shining a laser spot onto the target, you know, uh, wherever he's, you know, shooting it. Of course, that meant he had to kind of hook his head up enough to see the airplane or the tank they were designating. Uh, so there was, it was not perfect from the soldier's viewpoint, but, yeah. you know, it it was a usable weapon, and it was used in the Vietnam War, wow. like that. But that's you know just as a way because what it, and what you have is some uh, you have sensors in it that would home in on that bright spot, that that colored bright spot. It would be red for ruby, and then they had infrared for another uh, from light for neodymium that you could home in on. And the infrared spot, nobody knew they were getting designated with that in- invisible light until something came at them. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. And then so how how did you get different colors of lasers? Is that just the different wavelengths? That's different. That's from different energy transitions within light. Say if you have... Uh, uh, red, well, ruby, which has chromium in it, uh-huh. emits red light. And ruby was the first laser that uh, Maiman made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will emit, it'll store, store up energy from light and then emit it as red light. Okay. And that's, you know, how you've got that color. And different atoms would emit different colors. You know, you can have... Uh, uh, neon will emit red light. Uh, you have uh, trying to remember a good uh, well, yeah, uh, some uh, yeah, there's and there's other uh, semiconductor materials that emit uh, uh, red and green light or blue light. Mm-hmm. So you know there's there's a lot of different colors. It just depends. It happens that. Ruby, for example, it was a good material. And yeah. there's a rare earth called neodymium. It turns out to be a very good material in emitting infrared light. Oh, okay. So, you know, there, there's, you know, it's, it just it depends on what, it depends on the energy transmissions, uh, energy transitions between energy states of the atom. I mean, you want to store a whole bunch of things up in this high energy level. Mm-hmm. And then... Let them all emit light and burst at once. Okay, that's the idea of it. Yeah, and okay. you have it. You have it because between between mirrors, and you focus it into a nice tight line. Yeah, 
Okay, that's understandable. I can, I can get that. Um, okay, cool. So we have this going, and then the rocket engine laser kind of comes along, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is... Uh, there's some guys at this place called Avco Everett Research Laboratory, and they're a military lab. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're trying to find ways to use lasers to shoot down missiles because this is the early, this is the mid 1960s. We're all worried about nuclear missiles, you know, and, you know, kingdom come, uh, getting blown to kingdom come. So what they're trying to find is something to shoot down missiles at a distance. Mm -hmm. And they're and they more or less figure out that, Hey, suppose, you can have, that you that they got a way of exciting. They have a way of exciting atoms to a state. If they can emit enough light, uh, then they could burn holes in things. And uh, they finally start looking at chemical reactions. And so you excite. Uh, let's say you you're have, having a have rocket fuel. And it's it's burning. You're getting very excited atoms from a chemical reaction. Mm-hmm. So you molecules that are you know, and they they'll emit light. You'll see them burning. So let's say you have hydrogen and fluorine, and that turns out to be what you know actually they would use in some of these lasers mm-hmm. is hydrogen to make hydrogen fluoride. That re- releases a lot of energy, and so. Uh, these guys at uh, Avco Everett Research Laboratory uh, figure out, hey, um, maybe we could make a chemical laser. We'll have a, these chemical reactions, and the chemicals will emit light when you have a hydrogen and fluorine uh, hydrogen hydrogen atom and a fluorine fluorine atom come together, and you actually are burning hydrogen molecules and fluorine molecules, and they're making hydrogen fluoride has lots of energy. That emits in the infrared. Uh-huh. Uh So, all in your so well, it's kind of like a rocket engine. In fact, it is pretty much a rocket engine. Uh-huh. You burn something down, and you're pushing the fuels through it, and they're igniting. All you had to do was uh, Ed, Ed Gary, who was working there, um, as one of the you know inventors of this laser. Mm-hmm. He and we figured out, hey. If we can get just a tenth of one percent of the energy out of this, this rocket is burning. This is rocket fuel. This yeah. is what this stuff is. It's rocket fuel. And hey, you know, now we're all this flame is going out the end. And if we can get some of this to make light, we can extract the light from that. If all we need is a tenth of one percent, and we'll have a because rockets are so powerful, we'll have a million watts of light, and we can burn holes on things with a million watts of light. Yeah. So this is the idea. So they tried making hydrogen fluorine, and it worked. It worked. It didn't quite get up to a million watts, but you know they got up to twenty kilo. I think they realized they had something when they got up to twenty kilowatts because nobody got more than about two hundred watts before. Wow! And so they've got this thing. Oh man, we can burn holes in things. Right. And that was, you know, it, it was basically running like a rocket engine. 
they were kind of was, was acting like a rocket engine, but they're getting light out the end. You know, you stop and look at a rocket engine and there's light coming out of it. Well, you know, this, this was designed to collect more of the light than, you know, the, the energy. Mm-hmm. And it produced a lot of heat as well. But hey, you know, if you're trying, you know, this is how you could make, you know, 10 kilowatt, 20 kilowatt, hundreds of kilowatts, maybe, wow, we can get up to a megawatt. Yeah. So they're all excited about this, and they start working with these, you know, hydrogen fluoride lasers and hydrogen fluoride lasers. Uh-huh. Things, and it's all super, super secret, right? Of Except without too, and eventually they started talking about it. So we started talking about, um, and then you know, okay, they so they finally got decided to try to build uh, an airborne laser. Mm-hmm. Put it up in a put it up in a plane. Hey, look at this! We got up in an airplane, and we can shoot the, all sorts of things down in the airplane right. with this rocket fuel. And well, it turns out it wasn't that simple. Um, it uh, you get all kinds of vibrations when you're flying around in a plane, mm-hmm. and you know things sag, and they couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, basically. <laughs> Uh, but you know, eventually, it, and, and uh, they could, they were trying to shoot down targets, and eventually, they managed to shoot down a few. But it was basically just a big rocket engine firing. Yeah, that's what the, that's what it was, and you know, it was pretty much that. You know, instead of getting the flame out of the rocket engine, you're getting a beam of light. It was a pretty powerful beam of light. Yeah. But then, then you had the. They also had what they called the fires of the week because they were, you know, these things would. You're you're burning hydrogen. You're burning fluorine. These things are pretty combustible. <laughs> so they had, you know, the the fire. Of the, I heard people talking about the fire of the week. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> man, oh man. Okay, so they kind of get this going. Is really just the. Uh... The thing that kind of holds it back is just the fact that they can't really aim it properly. Well, it's really hard to control. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you've got flowing gases. You know, hydrogen. You're starting with more or less hydrogen and fluorine, and hydrogen is pretty flammable. Fluorine's a lot worse, uh, and it just wasn't very controllable. Okay. You know, you and that that was the thing, and you you want. Uh, you also had the problem that the hydrogen and fluorine, when you burn them, that light tends to get absorbed by the atmosphere. Uh, there, are, it's all in a position, in a part of the atmosphere that is light, where light is absorbed. So then you you could use deuterium, which is the heavy isotope of hydrogen, but there's not very much of it, and it's expensive. Oh. And that, that would burn it, would emit light at a different wavelength so it would get through the air a little better. But it really wasn't, you know, a very good weapon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they really didn't have all the technology they needed to play with it. So they, they uh, shot it. They fired it off. They invited the press to come and see it in 1981, January of 1981. It was, you know, Carter administration was coming to an end and they hoped, wanted to show that they'd actually done something with lasers and it didn't work. 
uh, I talked and then, then they did another one. And, uh, they did another one a little bit later on and it didn't work. And I called up a colonel I knew and I said, when are we going to hear anything more about this? And said, you won't hear anything more until we shot something down. <laughs> because I had, you know, they had a beam, but it wasn't enough. To sh- it wasn't uh, tightly focused enough to shoot something down. Yes. Okay. So, yes. And then in 1983, they finally did shoot something down. Oh, okay. Finally yeah. got it to work, huh? Yep. <laughs> how, who knows how many millions of dollars it took to shoot down that target. But, yeah, um, really. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Jeez. Man, okay. So, like, where – so how have things progressed since then? Like, where are we kind of at today with this technology and, and laser weapons or anything like that? Well, there have been a couple of – you know, later tests. There's one called the Airborne Laser Laboratory. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was that. I'm sorry, that was the first one, the Airborne Laser Laboratory. There was the Airborne Laser, and there was a lot of interest in laser weapons during Reagan's Star Wars program. Mm. But the fact was, the technology really wasn't very, very ready. They had worked on something called Alpha that was supposed to generate megawatts, millions of watts. But and they kind of got up to that, but it was more or less like a torch, you know. It wasn't very well focused. You know, they did, you know, produce high powers, but it wasn't uh, really, you know, it just wasn't focusable. And they had the the airborne late the and it's, uh, let's see, they had the and they had and so they decided eventually to start the airborne laser program, which was. Basically, a um, a 7.4. The airborne laser, which was the first one they tried, was a 7.07. This was a 7.47 with more chemicals and more lasers. Right. Um, And that finally shot something down in 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, About five, ten years behind schedule. They had a lot of problems with it. But they they, they got a good quality, reasonable quality beam out of it. Um, and, you know, they actually shot something down. But by that time, it had become pretty clear that these rocket engine lasers, these chemical lasers, were basically just like pretty much like a rocket. You're putting pushing fuel through and burning stuff and making emitting light. And the way that you have mirrors on the thing means that you get the light out in a tightly focused, a reasonably focused beam. Right. Uh, but this had a lot of problems. Uh, and... They tried using it. Um, they also were, was a proud program in the 1990s uh, to work on uh, trying to shoot down uh, rockets, artillery, missiles mm-hmm. for uh, with the Israelis because they were worried about rockets being shot at them. Uh, and this pro- the problem they had there. Excuse me, as I get over the water. The the problem that they had had there was um, it could work. Could work. Um, They had uh, some test. So fairly simple laser that could work. It should make hundred kilowatts of light, and it could shoot down targets. Now the, the. Big difference now from that, from 
during the Reagan era, they were trying to shoot down missiles, let's say 5,000 kilometers away. They're trying to shoot down ICBMs you know, at long range. This was part of uh, Reagan Star Wars, part of Reagan Star Wars program. Right. And it didn't work because you couldn't really get the beam 5,000 kilometers away. You needed lots and lots of power, and the beam broke up. So what they were doing with these experiments uh, with uh, this short range, shorter range laser, it was just shooting you know, a few kilometers away. So this was much easier to aim at. Mm-hmm. You didn't aim dispersing, uh, but you still had all these chemical weapon chemicals in it. Yeah. And so they had, they had shot down, they shot down some rockets, artillery and mortars. Okay. Now we've really got something that works. It's short range. It's on the order of a kilometer away. That's not that far. You know, if you've got, if you're starting out with 100 kilowatts of light and you've got it in some kind of beam and you're shooting it, especially at something that's loaded with explosives. So that all you have to do, you don't have to bang a hole in it. You have to heat it up enough that the explosive inside catches fire. Right. (laughs) Okay. So this, this works. Uh, so the Pentagon came in, and uh, uh, they had their uh, people who were really, you know, in charge of getting weapons to work. You know, these are the, the not just they don't work in the lab. They work, you know, their their purpose is to build weapons and design weapons and make sure everything will work. And they came in, and they're the logistics guys, and they they came in and said. Uh, you know, what do you need? How do you make this work? And they said, well, here, we've got this chemical over here that makes fluorine, and we've got this chemical over here that makes uh, hydrogen, and uh, then we mix them together. And the logistics guys looked at them, and they said, wait a minute. If, this, if you don't have any of this chemical, you have a piece of chunk. If you don't have any of that chemical, you have a piece of junk. We don't want any more chemicals <laughs> on our battlefield. We want something that will run on diesel fuel. Oh. Come back and to show us a laser that will run on diesel fuel. And, you know, can do this? And we love it. Huh. Oh, this will be great. But, no, we don't want chemical weapons on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Hydrogen, you know, hydrogen fluoride is a chemical weapon. Yeah. You know? They get, you know, they'll get asphyxiated by, you know, the troops will, or you get blown up. So we want us, and, uh, you know, we want uh, a different kind. We want a a laser that can run on uh, diesel or, you know, run on, you know, light, be powered somehow by, directly by light. We want, all we want is, you know, a box that, you know, something here that, you feed diesel into and light of a laser beam comes out Mm -hmm. back to the drawing board. Yeah. And fortuitously, you know, there was at this point, you know, we're we're at this point, other lasers that had come on and, uh, uh, one of the technology, well, there's, there's, there's a whole set of solid state laser technologies. And 
what you, you can you also can use semiconductors to emit light. Now, semiconductor lasers have an important property. They're quite a they can turn an electricity into energy pretty efficiently, like 10 or 20 or maybe even 50% of the electricity that goes into a semiconductor laser merges mm-hmm. in as, as a laser, as light. So that's, you know, this is, this is what you want something that's efficient because, you know, they've gotten up above the 10th of 1% of the uh, first chemical lasers, but they were, they were still inefficient. Chemical lasers were inefficient. Yeah. You know, so something that would turn energy into light and then the light could pump on the, the laser. And the semiconductor was t- taking electricity, turning t- turning electricity into light, and that electricity then could go uh, power the laser. You couldn't use the semiconductor as a powerful laser because the semiconductors you you just had you had to uh, they were small and the, and the beams and because they were small the beams spread out widely. Oh, and so you couldn't really use them. You need something that would focus a beam that would go a kilometer or kilometers, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, not, you didn't want something that spread out, you know, like a cheap flashlight. Right. Uh, so this is what, this is what you needed. Uh, and fortunately the, uh, semiconductors lasers had been made quite powerful. And then they figured, okay, you can use semiconductor laser to power another laser because light can power a laser. That was what happened in, in the first la- ruby, the laser, the ruby laser that Maven made. It was light from another light, so from flash lamps mm-hmm. that excite the ruby, in the, which is the, the uh, active element of it. The ru- and there was excited the chromium atoms in the ruby, so they emitted red light. So now let's see, okay, we can take this semiconductor and we can excite atoms in something, and let's say ruby, let's say uh, neodymium, which is uh, a rare earth element, and it actually emits invisible infrared light, but that was, you know, a powerful, had made powerful solid-state lasers before. Uh, so then you, you get this, uh, you know, can make by that two-step process, you can make something that gets maybe 10% of the turns 10 or 20 or 30 or 40% of the energy into light. And that's a lot of energy. Uh-huh. So, okay. So they went and tried to do it and uh, had, uh, you know, about 10 years, took them about 10 years from 2000 until 2009. And they had a hundred kilowatt solid state laser mm-hmm. that operated for five minutes at a time. That's enough to burn a respectable hole through things. Yeah. Uh, and you couldn't see the light, but Hey, you don't have to see the light. Yeah. In fact, you know, that turns out to be where, the, where things are, are good. So, you know, this was a major step forward. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then they had to make it a little more practical device because this was something that uh, required a lot of cooling, among mm. other things. So they ended up using optical fibers 
that were you know a very thin fiber uh-huh. could turn light convert pump light from the semiconductors you know which are what what the little diode lasers like the little uh, diode lasers you have in a laser pointer although uh-huh. know, there's different versions of those that emit at different wavelengths that can emit high power and they excite atoms that are in glass you know you might use ruby but you actually what they use is just glass mm-hmm. and in the center of the fiber and it emits light that comes out of it and it turns out it's quite efficient the fiber is limited in how much power but then you've got a bunch of fibers together and you make them into a fiber laser and that's actually what they're using right now is the, is the de- te- technology they're testing is optical fiber lasers huh. uh, and it's you know you get 20-30% efficiency they're going for 40% efficiency wow and that's that's really really efficient because you look at your average look at your old fashioned uh, electric light bulb and that was a lot nowhere near that efficient in turning electricity into light. Huh. Man, cool. So, so that's that's kind of where we're at today and what what we're working with today and improving on. That's what's going on right now, and there's a whole bunch of test beds out there now that have been tested. Right. Um, in uh, you know they put them in a plane you know, they put, they they've got them on the ground and they're sixty to a hundred kilowatts now and they're you know, they're they've got them in trucks and things like that so it's it's a you know these are uh, you know the giggle factor is gone in a, in, a, in that sense you know it's no longer quite as crazy as it looked mm-hmm. there's still you know, still a lot of issues to make, but what they're looking at now, shooting at now, are rockets, artillery, and mortars from terrorists. Uh, they're also looking at ship, you know, ways you can defend ships because they there uh, are, you know, people with terrorists with little boats, small boats will try to go out and shoot, shoot at them. Right. So, you know, shoot, shoot our, uh, missiles at them. So you just go shoot back at them and uh, take them out. Yeah. So Man. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool that that's that's going on today still. Like they're still really working on this same kind of, you know, weapon ideas they had so long ago. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, in a sense, you know, it's no longer – it's not it's no not not easy there's a lot of difficulties and the whole mission they're taking on now into shooting at you know whether essentially are terrorists or are you know in the near term or insurgents you know this is you know you're shooting at things a few miles away at most mm-hmm. and that's a lot easier than when you're having to shoot through a lot of atmosphere because the air gets in the way yes uh, and you don't have to have absorb a lot of light before you, you know, if you were absorbing a tenth of a percent a mile, um, or you know, let's say one percent a mile, that builds up if you're shooting through the atmosphere, right? And it also makes the the air expand, so that defocuses the light. Oh, okay. So there's other 
other kinds of things you have to do to make sure you get the light focused. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, there's a lot of engineering to do on this. Yeah. Whew, crazy. But I, what's also cool in that is that it's, you know, this stuff is going on for weapons, but it's the laser is used so much in just like our everyday kind of consumer products with like CD players and, and, you know, full fiber optics, you know, like we just for internet and stuff, it's crazy. Yeah. We're talking through fiber. We're talking through fiber all the way from my home. Yeah. I don't know if you've got it, but I've got I've it. Got it too. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So this, you know, it's, we're getting all this bandwidth, uh, and you know, that's not, not, not all all a spin-off of military stuff. This is there's a tremendous number of peaceful applications for lasers. Mm-hmm. There's and and you can use these things for materials working. They're cutting and welding. There's bill it's a billion dollar business to use lasers for machine tools. Yeah. There's a billion I think there's a billion dollars in laser medicine. Yeah. And uh it's you know, really amazing. And this is, you know, sort of the gosh, wow stuff that, you know, there's, there's other kinds of things that are just, you know, it's like you don't see the, the, the fibers in the outside, the optical fibers. This is all this lights going through glass, guided through glass. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that, how do you, like, what does the fiber optic cable look like? How does that work? Uh, it looks well. It's a hair-thin fiber of glass. Probably some if I look around in my office, but it's just a you know, hair. It's a hair-thin piece of glass. Man, it's you know. There's I, I can't pull out the fiber in the wall. Yeah, but it's just like an ordinary cable. Right, it looks like an ordinary cable, but it can carry gigabits. Mm-hmm. Or of, of, of data, you know, billions of bits per second. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, it's revolutionized telecommunications. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, back in the 1950s, there was you know, a whole generation of uh, uh, technology that was you know, developed that, uh, uh, for uh, millimeter, uh, millimeter wave guides, uh, things like this, that, that more or less got blown away when fiber optics and lasers were invented. Because the other thing with fiber optics is the glass, can, if you use pure silica, uh, the glass can be so pure uh, that you can go hundreds of miles. There's still, there, there you can go over 100 miles and there's still light. Yeah amounts of light. Whew, so cool. So it's all, uh, it's an amazing technology. Yeah. So I have a question about, you know, just kind of when I'm looking, like maybe with just laser pointers, like one, one laser pointer will shoot and it will just kind of show a, like a, a dot, little red dot or something at whatever I'm pointing at. But then there's other ones that I can see the whole beam. What's, what's the difference between those? Well, what the difference? One difference between those is how dusty the air is. Oh, okay. What you're doing is really scattering off the air. Light is scattered off the air, and if you have a you know laser pointer uh-huh. and get out and 
uh, let's say take a bunch, take a piece of a couple of erasers full of chalk, go bang, bang, make a little dust cloud and take your laser pointer and you'll see all the little sparkles. Oh, okay. And that's, you know, that's how the laser, it, it doesn't, your light doesn't go through, but it does, you can't, you can't see it like that. Okay. That makes sense. You know, you, you, you shine a green laser pointer through a shower, you see all the little sparkles where the raindrops pass through it. Mm-hmm. Focus it. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's what's going on there. It's, uh, just show, yeah, that makes sense. I, <laughs> man, well, Jeff, this is cool. I love this stuff, especially with the whole history of this with, you know, related to sci-fi and then how it's actually, you know, became a reality and stuff. This is, this is really fun talking to you. So thank you, Jeff. Well, I'm glad, glad to, it's, it's a pleasure. It's a, it's a fun story. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it's a fascinating technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, Really enjoyed working with lasers. You know, I had the, I discovered them when I was a, I discovered I discovered them as an undergraduate at Caltech, uh-huh. and um, that was not the not a ripe time. I had I had to get out, you know, work around. But then I came back and got to work for a Laser Magazine, which mm-hmm. beat that out of writing uh, computer manuals. Oh, okay. Yeah, and a lot more fun, and I've had a lot more fun ever since. Mm-hmm. As you've got, got a little desk, you know, a few desk laser pointers in my desk, and things like that. Yeah, it's all, and it's it's really amazing how far this technology has come. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, what do you? What's I guess? What do you think is the future of it? Are we just going to keep developing it to get better, where maybe eventually we'll be able to make something that can shoot? hundreds of kilometers or is that not really a concern well we're ha- there's a lot of things that are being done with lasers that are well more peaceful than that for one yeah but uh you know you can you can control light down to a very narrow range of wavelengths what's you know you've got you can get incredible amounts of information through a single optical fiber yeah and uh that's you know you know it's just just incredible uh what are they up to there are up to terabits per second in the five single fiber billion what tr- not not billions tr- trillions of bits per second through single optical fibers man and, uh they're you know you can carry all you know conversation I think I calculated at one point you would carry, you know, hundreds of million, hundred million telephone conversations, let's say, uh-huh. through a optical fiber carrying <laughs> multiple wavelengths of light. And it's just, you know, it's just amazing. And there's things that we do in spectroscopy and, and measurement and, you know, laser surgery um, and uh, you know, all kinds of very sophisticated measurements. Mm-hmm. That uh, it's just it's just amazing, you know. It I have to go back and, and reset my brain almost to start talking through all those kind of things that lasers can do, because it is, you know, it's it's just a tool. It's the, you've uh, gotten, <laughs> you know, just 
I'm, I'm crazy. It's just, it's just an amazing technology. Yeah. Because you can do all this with light. And, you know, light and electronics together have really, you know, made, given us this whole power of computing and uh, data processing and signal processing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, you know, it's just, just an amazing world. And the growth rate of these technologies where, you started talking about you know telephone calls worth of conversation, and then or you you know early on it was just single bits bits per second, and now through terabits per second. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yep, totally. Whew, man, well, Jeff, we got your book, um, Lasers, Death Rays, and the Long Strange Quest for the Ultimate Weapon. That's on Amazon, so I'll have a link for that. Um, is there anywhere else you want to send people? Well, where else? There's lots of places. I have my own website, uh, jeffheck.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I write for a magazine called Laser Focus World, which is an industry magazine. And they talk, you'll see a lot of things there that you would never understand because it's high, really high tech. But you'll also see interesting things that, hey, this is something neat we can do with laser medicine, for example. Uh, there's, and there's just you know, lots of, uh, of technology out there that uh, you know, I've written a book called Understanding Lasers. You know, mm-hmm. that, not, you know, that's, that came out at the same time as this. And that's uh, the fourth edition of Understanding Lasers. Oh, okay. And uh, it's, which is more aimed at, let's say, serious high school student, college, you know, technician, mm-hmm. uh, tells about how this all this stuff works, because there's a lot of very interesting technology in there. And, you know, you all the, the things that you can do with it, uh, spectroscopy, we can do spectroscopy, look at all the, you know, it tells what's going on in other stars. Yeah. You sort and you know, measure things with light, with exacting precision. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it just boggles the mind really. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, it is extremely cool how this one kind of, this this one technology and invention sort of led to so much stuff and has so many uses. It's really interesting. It's a true breakthrough. Yeah. It's, it's you know, true breakthrough. Electronics is a true breakthrough. You know, there's, there's, and uh, many of these technologies are synergistic because once you put them together, you can do more. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, and that lets you do as well as, you know, you can have light shows. You can have fun with light. Yep. Yeah. The laser shows. Yeah. Totally, huh? Yeah. Oh. Man. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Jeff. Appreciate your time. We'll have links to all that stuff so people can, you know, check it out and learn some more and, and get your book and everything like that. But uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time, Jeff. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank awesome. you very much. <laughs> oh, boy. What an episode. Thanks for sticking around and listening to it. This is Travis again uh, here on my own. But as a thank you for sticking around, I wanted to give you a free sticker, a free curiosity sticker, 100% free, don't have to pay for shipping. 
You don't have to enter your credit card info. It's really free. Uh, to get one, go to curiosityness.com slash free sticker. And it's yours. I'll send it to you right away. And, and you can slap that baby wherever you want to represent Curiosityness. So uh, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Just wanted to give you guys a little gift. Um, so just go ahead and claim that at curiosityness.com slash free sticker. And uh, visit our website too, curiosityness.com. I have an Instagram, Curiosityness Podcast. I'm on Instagram too as Trav DeRose, me, Travis, the host. You can follow me if you want. Uh, we're on Twitter, Curiosityness TV is our uh, handle there. We're on Facebook as Curiosityness. All the links to this stuff are in the show notes. You can just click on it and follow us if you want to, because I post some cool little clips and, and extra stuff that you don't get from the uh, podcast onto social media. So you can join in on that and comment and, and talk about me and the show or whatever you want to do. Uh, we're on YouTube, too, as Curiosityness. And I have an email address, Travis at Curiosityness.com. Send me an email. Send me your thoughts on the show, suggestions for new guests, tips on things to make the show better and, and help me with my interviewing and, and get better and everything like that. So uh, constructive feedback is always nice. So send me an email and uh, also reviews super help. Uh, really appreciate reviews on the show in uh, Stitcher or iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever. Um, just drop a review. That's extremely helpful. You don't even have to make it five stars. You can, you can lower it. Uh, I would prefer a higher one, but whatever, whatever you want to do. I won't coax you into something, uh, but any sort of review helps. I really honestly do appreciate it. So um, yeah, thank you again, guys, for sticking around and listening to this end blabber with me, but uh, have a good rest of the day. Bye-bye.